Bernard Mostert joins us now on a day where the Techie Town team, for people sitting outside, when you see a billion rand is going to be changing hands, Steinhoff is going to be paying uh, the Techie Town uh, vendors, yourself and Bram van uh, Hastien and, and others. But the question has to be, are you guys happy with this? Alec, I, th- I think that celebrating would be the wrong word, but gratitude and relief are appropriate terms, I feel. But when I looked back at the original deal, so Techie Town was sold to Steinhoff uh, going back to 2017 when it was all completed. The portion that the Techie Town guys management got was 1.85 billion. You're getting significantly less than that now from Steinhoff. Yes, that, that is correct. And one of the reasons why we have litigated so aggressively over the last four years, because it's been almost four years to the day that these events occurred, is that it was always a logical remedy for us to retain control of the business and take it forward. But quite a lot of water has flown into the sea. And, you know, we've made quite a lot of headway with our litigation. And then in... October this year, um, Bram, myself, Davi van looked at the business that we had started um, in 2018, which is now the Frontierco Group. It, it really is a combination of the old house of Basby, which we took control out, out of Business Rescue, and the Mr. Techie business that we started organically. And that business is doing very well. So it came to for us to a conclusion to say, if we achieve a certain outcome and we can leave our rearview mirror behind and only focus on that business, will that be a better outcome for us than if we litigate for another three to five years and then get control of the business back and then have to reintegrate that business because it would effectively then be like an acquisition, you know, had we been successful with our litigation of restitution to the end. and. To be honest, I don't think that we would have done better with reintegrating the business back into our structure than what the business will do now within the PEVCOR stable and that we will do with our business and also as um, material shareholders in PEVCOR. You know, so. How long do you have to hold the – well, let's, let's maybe start at the beginning. What exactly are you guys getting from Steinhoff? So it is conditional on the settlement going ahead. So um, the litigation effectively would really only cease once all those conditions present have been met. But I think that's covered in Steinhoff sense. Um, we are getting 500 million rand in cash. And then we're getting 29.5 million PEPCO shares that we have to um, hold for the same period as any other um, claimant at least 180 days after we receive the shares. So roughly six months you've got to hold on to those shares. And when you say any other claimant, so would this be through the whole settlement issue? If the settlement offer doesn't go through, then you're back to square one. I would suspect so, yes. But the settlement offer presumably is uh, is almost certain to go through now that you will no longer be trying to put Steinhoff into liquidation. 
I think that there were two there were two obstacles in in the way of a of a finalized settlement. Um, the first is Peter Erasmus and Trevo. And Peter, as the former CEO of Pepco, there was an announcement two days ago that they've also reached the conclusion, and that he will go back um, in a in a directing mind type of role at Pepco, and that's that's a good outcome because he was very instrumental in building that business to the success that it was um, as it went into Steinoff. I mean, he was there for twenty odd years, so his return there is a good thing. And then, you know, there were our action, and our actions were twofold, really. It was, or threefold. It was all the actions against Pepco. Um, it was the action against Steinhoff, and it was the liquidation action that was um, designed, really, to allow us to continue to litigate and not have our claims crammed down. So that all of that litigation will, will cease. And it seems that, um, and credit to him, that Louis de Pria has managed to get everybody that has suffered damage in this process now to a point where the settlement process can go ahead and it is not opposed. So the the chief executive of Steinhoff, who of whom you were very critical last time we spoke, is now getting credit. It yeah, absolutely. And um and you're right, I've been very critical of, of um Louis publicly and also him and I have been critical of one another in court papers. Um, but I must say that, you know, we never really had any conversation from the get go. Um, we, we were always recipients of information, but the, we were never, um, parties to an engagement. And I, you know, I can only speculate as to what, why that is the case, but, um, with our conclusion that we want to focus on our new business and starting to talk through a facilitated introduction, really, directly to Louis and the, the broader Steinhoff team, you also you also got a, a good understanding of, of what they're trying to achieve. And I think one of, the, one of the things that they're trying to achieve, which is true, is that the market purchase claimants, the man on the street, um, under South African legislation would not have had a claim. Steinhoff has included them as somebody that they would compensate. Um, there was an earlier court case uh, widely referred to as the De Brain Unterhalter judgment, um, in which it said that, that um, class action participants in South Africa don't have a claim. So, you know, if you look at that, and I think that's a key development here, if you look at that, Steinhoff has included that part in the settlement. Um, it's good. It's good for the man on the street. And I also hope that legislation will change to allow people to recover processes of this nature going forward. So um, the conversations in the last three three weeks have been interesting, and I'm I'm happy to give Louis credit for for at least facilitating those conversations, even at the time where we were very very aggressive towards one another. Just explain that, Bernard. You say the man in the street in South Africa will be a participant. Are you talking about the shareholders, those people who owned shares in Steinhoff listed on the JSE before the collapse in twenty late 2017? Yes, those who claimed, correct. So if you owned shares in Steinhoff that you might have paid up to 70 Rand for and you claimed against the com- company because of the fraud, because your shares were now worth 2 Rand a share – uh, you could actually get some money back. 
in terms of the style of settlement process, yes, correct. If you submitted your claim and you participated in the settlement, and um, I'm, I'm not familiar with, with that process, but that uh, people can research, I guess. And um, But historically, and if you look at the first judgment from the DeBrain case, um, the stance was that those claimants don't have any claim. Um, so it it is a very good outcome now that a those people get compensated and i think you know you hate to use the word fair after such a massive fraud but i think at the end of the day across board there's a there's a fair outcome now between all the various parties well at least an outcome that one can stomach rather than the uh, where it's it could have gone to uh, into liquidation had you guys been successful yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, we, as I said, the liquidation for us um, was one mechanism. It was designed to ensure that we could continue with our litigation because our recovery always was the wish to have our business returned to us. We've accepted now that that will not happen, that we will effectively be an indirect child of our PEPCO, which we're very happy to do, specifically given that, that Peter is going to be involved there again. Um, and then, you know, furthermore is the fact that we, we do take a lot of thanks for the fact or, or we have gratitude for the fact that we could get up and get started again, you know, which is also something that you and I have shared because you've gone through that journey yourself, you know. Um, so it, it's rewarding. Um, and I don't say that in any in any way because that race is not run; it's just the beginning. But it's rewarding to have a business that is so promising, and that is performing so well. You know, so it all it, it does contribute towards you wanting to put the past behind you. In our case, and especially now that we've come to an agreement that is palatable. I've already had a few emails from Steinhoff shareholders delighted to know that the company is at least going forward and um, generating cash and the settlements can be done and back to uh, th they might be getting some value into the future for uh, the, the stock that they hold. But how does something like this come together? It's four years of litigation and suddenly in the last three weeks, you guys got together and found each other. How does that happen? The reality is that there's a few people behind the scenes that tried really hard to understand, I think, both parties' positions. Um, and in, in that process, the one person that I can give credit to is Tina Slubber, who um, ran the legal um, strategy and case for Christo's claims. So Tinas um, spoke, spoke to me a lot about the outcomes in liquidation, um, where it would be, um, in his view, liquidation would have been a better outcome for them too, um, over, but over a much longer period. And it would have resulted in the same problems that I highlighted now, that you that other people would have suffered even more. Um, and so there was, a, there was a facilitated conversation. And then also some credit to um, Paul Katzif, who was our lead, attorney at CAA Friedlander who um, who said to us just at least listen um, 
listen to what what can be achieved. You know, now I think Paul probably could have carried on with this litigation to his benefit for many many years, but he didn't, and I respect that. That's that's really good news because the legal fraternity gets a gets a bad rap in many instances for going on with litigation that it should rather settle, rather bring the parties together. But it does appear as though uh, in this instance, maybe there was fatigue as well. Maybe there was the, the fact that without, with you guys still in the picture, uh, it would have postponed anything that Steinhoff could do. And there are many people who have an interest in this. Yeah, you know, it's a, um, it's interesting. I mean, if you talk about credit to the legal fraternity, it's the last four years, certainly we've learned a lot about litigation and we've learned about the system. And I think the, the, the single biggest comfort that I take from this whole process is that the system and the justice system works. You can be heard. You can't just be bulldozed, etc. So, yes, it's been costly. Yes, as you say, people get unduly criticized or, or criticized for wanting to stretch out things, and maybe that happens. But at the same time, you know, there's also people who've done great things. I think, for instance, of... The, the earlier case, which was referred to as the Section 45 case, where um, Advocate Van der Ludwitz really did an excellent job establishing the rights of those um, market purchase claimants in this case. you know, so And I think people like him should get credit for what they've done and contributed in this process. Um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that tried really hard to sort out all this mess. Um, and whilst at the same time suffering the frustrations of um, having been shafted, for lack of a better, more eloquent term, um, because we, we all end up still losing. It's not like there's a big winner here. Um, you know, so, it's, uh, so everybody that got around the table, and I also think it's important to acknowledge the emotions. You know, once people say, listen, we, we accept that you have lost badly and we understand how you feel. It's funny how much... That counts. Are there any upsides to all of this? Next time something like Steinhoff happens, hopefully not soon, but at some time in the future, it's bound to occur. Would there be things that have come out of this whole litigation, the investment that you made in the legal process, the the investment that the lawyers and the advocates made in applying their minds to it, that can then be used in South African commercial law into the future? I certainly I hope so, and I think the biggest part of that is the the, the recourse that the what I turn the man on the street, uh, the the passive investor has against events of this nature, because um, as I say, there were there was a judgment that people don't have a claim actually, um, so I think that is important, and then second thing is, and that hasn't changed, is there must be accountability and there must be recourse for events of this nature you know so that doesn't go away and and certainly we hope that that continues to run and that that process is ultimately unraveled and that people are held accountable i mean you can't have a situation where we just walk away and nothing happens so um it's a it's a process that, that must also still follow through and the country must get some form of an outcome for uh, what had happened here and what had gone wrong and caused all this loss. When Louis Dupree was uh, appointed as the CEO, being a lawyer formerly at Worksman's, uh, I think even 
doing work for Steinhoff, certainly uh, the Stellenbosch Office of Worksmans was very involved. There was much criticism. But looking back on the way you've unpacked it for us, it appears as though that's exactly who you needed to be the CEO because it isn't a case of running a business. It's a case of trying to find your way through the legal Gordian knot. Yeah, and, and especially across so many jurisdictions. So I think that that was ultimately uh, a good outcome. And to the point of your the emails that you've received of people being happy with the fact that, that Steinoff shows life and maybe has a future, I think that that's a good outcome. Um, and I think it took somebody, A, with that level of expertise to to settle all of these matters. And then also, you know, it took somebody who could stomach all these massive blows with a lot of people being angry um, and screaming and shouting and, um, and you know, just ultimately have a rational ear um, about how we how we resolve this. So what happens now to Marcus Joester, now that the process for the company that he defrauded uh, is going ahead and people have lost a lot of money, they can even quantify their losses perhaps. Where does he fit into all of this? Yeah, so Alec, that's a, it's that's one question that hasn't changed any in anything with our with our uh, reaching a settlement is that, and as I said earlier, there must be some form of accountability, um, and and conversely also, Marcus must be and is entitled to have his day in court. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure that process will take its time to unwind. Um, I don't think necessarily that he was the only complicit party, but the company have identified the others. So, I mean, that's, it wasn't only him. Um, and I think it's, if we believe in our constitution and we believe people should be treated fairly, then he should have his day in court. He should be able to defend himself. And if indeed guilty, he should be found guilty. You know, I, I don't think that any of that changes. And the same goes for everybody else that they fingered as, as being complicit. And what about that PwC report? You've been calling for it to be released. Is there any movement on that side? I guess now that you're out of the picture, uh, you wouldn't be adding your voice to those calls. But has there been any movement on that side from the company? Uh, the, in as far as I know, no. There hasn't been any movement on that. 